The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. And I think we can all relate to the idea of putting something off to the last minute. Um, We're really excited to be talking to our next guest about this. Tim Pitchell is one of the world's leading experts in procrastination. He's the author of The Procrastination Puzzle and a contributor to publications like Fortune, Psychology Today, and The Washington Post. He's director of the Center for Initiatives in Education and is a faculty member in the Department of Psychology at Carleton University. He also hosts the very popular podcast, I Procrastinate. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for joining us. How do you define procrastination? Well, procrastination is a nasty form of delay because not all, although all procrastination is delay, not all delay is procrastination. And with that in mind, procrastination is a voluntary delay of an intended act, despite the recognition you're probably going to be worse off for this delay. So you become your own worst enemy. And that's really important to understand that there's no upside to procrastination. You and I have to delay things all the time. We put this call off, for example, from last night to today, but it wasn't procrastination. It was purposeful delay. It was sagacious, knowledgeable delay. And other times there can be inevitable delay. If my children were sick right now, I might have to delay our conversation again, but it wouldn't be procrastination. So procrastination is a voluntary delay of an intended act. You think you should be working now, but you're not. And you think this, this isn't good, a good idea. All of that comes together to make procrastination. And it's voluntary, but it has a lot to do with willpower. Can you explain that? Well, it, it does and it doesn't. You're right. It, it has everything to do with voluntariness in the sense that we're putting it off, but lots of people don't feel that way. And in a sense, it could be the exertion of self-control where you'd say, or willpower, as you put it, that, you know, I just have to haul off and do it. Uh, but that's not so easy. I mean, there's some very recent research to show that we're much better off to get away from temptations that distract us from our goals because those really wear us out. And it's very difficult to keep exerting willpower. In fact, we seem to have very limited resources for that. So as much as we we can exert self-control, we're much better to set up the environment in such a way that we don't get tempted in the first place. One of the temptations I find in terms of procrastination is the internet. I will go online with the intention of looking something up and that's all I'm going to do. And then I turn the computer on and there's Facebook or there's a news story. And all of a sudden I'm distracted and uh, put off for a long time, maybe half an hour or whatever, whatever I went to the computer to look up in the first place. Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's the big joke, isn't it? That we're, we don't know why three hours later we're looking at kitten videos. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And I, I, was just, I was just looking at a little dog eating pizza half an hour ago, the same thing, right? And I thought, what am I doing? Well, really? we make... We make rationally 
rational decisions over irrationally short periods of time. So we get in front of our computer and say, it will only take me a minute to check my Facebook feed or Instagram or whatever, Snapchat, whatever your favorite social media is. And that's true. It'll only take a minute. But a minute later, you face the same choice. And now once you've made that choice, it licenses a further choice more easily. And so that it, the, what's irrational about it is over an irrationally short period of time. So in a sense, we want to trick ourselves. It's all part of the self-deception of procrastination. I don't want to admit that I'm going to go waste time here. So I say, oh, it'll only take me a minute. In fact, that's one of my personal uh, sayings that if I find myself thinking it will only take a minute, then I know I'm, I'm on the slippery slope of procrastination. And that can be true around the farm too. Like I get up in the morning, I have some horses to care for and some dogs, but if I might have a task that's awaiting me at my desk that I'm not too enamored with. And so oh, it'll only take me a minute to maybe change that in the tractor. It'll only take me a minute. I think, Tim, if you're thinking that way, you're trying to get out of some other work. So that's, I think everyone could think about that. That uh, The moment you start saying it'll only take a minute, you're often trying to make an excuse to move away from some more important task. And I'm wondering what the science is behind procrastination and or, or recent studies that have been done on procrastination with the internet and smartphones. Do you think that in the past, before these things were around, that people procrastinated quite as much? No, I, you know, I, I don't have hard data on that. Some of my colleagues uh, seem to be making some noise around the fact that it's increasing, uh, but it's a hard thing to judge. But I think most of us know that what's happened is we've got distractions in the palm of our hand. And as much as sometimes we had distractions in the past, we get bored with them because they just weren't endless. And uh, these devices are endless. You can keep changing apps or you can change where you're, what you're looking at. And so I do think that we are, as Neil Postman said, amusing ourselves to death. And it really is a, we're driving ourselves to distraction that way. So I absolutely believe that, but I think that hard data is hard to pin down. But I, I don't know a single person that doesn't lament how much time we waste with uh, these apps. And of course, they're meant to be sticky. That's the other side of it is that people are trying to keep us there. Is a tendency to procrastinate something we inherit from our parents? Yeah, all our major traits are heritable. So if you think about the five major personality traits, and you can remember them with the word canoe, conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience and extroversion. So those are kind of the building blocks or the primary colors of personality. And all of those show heritabilities of about 50%. Because remember, it's always nature and nurture. And some people would even say it's nature via nurture. They're always dancing together. So our major personality traits are heritable. Procrastination has been shown in some genetic studies to be highly related to conscientiousness, and highly related to impulsivity. So there's no doubt that there's a genetic component. But biology is not destiny. So as much as everything's heritable, or many things are heritable, I have to be careful there, many things are heritable, particularly around personality, it's not destiny, and that all of us can choose to uh, act out of character, even if it seems to be our character, we can learn to act out of character if it's in our best interest. How did you personally decide to make procrastination and uh, teaching people about it your mission? Hmm. Were you a big uh, procrastinator yourself? Oh, I, yeah, like every other student I know. Uh, but that's not what it, that's not what drove me to it. Often people say that about psychologists, don't they? That, oh, we all study what's wrong with us. But no, in fact, it, I was doing my doctoral dissertation on people's goal pursuits, known as personal projects or personal strivings. But I was actually looking at people's personal projects and looking at how it predicted their well-being. So I, I looked at personality and what people were doing in their lives. And I did a qualitative study along with a quantitative study. And that means I talked to people, which is good for psychologists to do. 
the qualitative part was listening and writing things down. And the stories people told me that really affected their well-being was is when they said they were going to do things and didn't. And they labeled it very quickly as procrastination. And so I can remember at my doctoral defense, my external examiner after the defense said, so Tim, what's next? And I said, I'm going to stop studying what people are doing and start studying what they say they're going to do and don't ever do because I know that really affects their well-being. And I've, and I've spent 20, 20 plus years doing that because it really does drag us down. It's that self-defeating downward spiral that we've all experienced. It just, it, you know, it's related to depression. It's certainly related to all sorts of negative health effects. So that's what got me interested in it. And then because we become our own worst enemy, that keeps me fascinated. Like, how can we do this to ourselves? Time is the only limited resource I know that we have, and we end up wasting it. Tell us more about that, about how procrastination impacts us negatively. Well, procrastination, I think when you know, you asked me to define procrastination, I want to lay something on top of that before I answer this question, and that procrastination is not a time management problem. You know, this notion of nobody told me, part of your podcast, Yeah, I think nobody told you that Procrastination is not a time management problem. It's an emotion regulation problem. Procrastination at heart is very simple. You you have a task. So many of us are good at time management. I'm sitting in front of my calendar right now, and I can look at tomorrow at uh, 1.45, I'm supposed to read Rachel's thesis draft. Now, 1.45 can come along and I go, oh, I just do not want to do that. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. And then I add, I'll feel more like it tomorrow. Well, that's the recipe right there. It's all about feeling. And what I have to be able to do is manage my emotions because my time is managed. I said, you know, Rachel's thesis draft, this draft is her second or third draft. It's only going to take me about an hour and a half, but I don't feel like it. And we have a desire to feel good now. So we give in to that desire. So it's an emotion regulation thing. And so that is at, at its heart. Now, what we found in our research that procrastination is leads to stress and stress undermines our immune system. I mean, there's lots and lots of research on what stress does to our bodies. So that's one direct effect. But the indirect effects of procrastination on health are that we practice fewer wellness behaviors. So if we can put off our work, we can also put off exercise, eating well, sleeping. In fact, there's a whole new area of procrastination research on sleep procrastination. People. Oh man, off- that was that was interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, we put off going to bed. I mean, yeah. you see that it's very much related to what you talked about with technology. So people don't make the clear intention to go to bed, or even when they do, they've settled down in front of Netflix, and it's the only time they get for themselves in the day. And then it's much like the the um, email thing. Well, one more episode. And of course, it goes on and on, and, and pretty soon we're not going to bed. And so it's a, it has detrimental effects on your on your health, of course. So sleep procrastination is an interesting one because sleep hygiene is one of the most important things we could change to be healthier. But the other effect of procrastination on health is the indirect effects of treatment delay as well. So not only can we put off wellness behaviors, but we can say, oh yeah, I should get that looked after maybe later, manana. And of course, that that comes up to bite us too. So procrastination has that three-pronged effect on our health. There's the direct effects of stress, but there's the indirect effects of fewer wellness behaviors and more treatment delay. You have this podcast that talked about how procrastination makes you depressed and depression makes you procrastinate. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I kind of mentioned that when I talked about that downward spiral. And it's it's kind of interesting, though, when you talk about depression. Um, Albert Mealy, a philosopher at Florida State, 
who writes a lot about weakness of will and lots about volition, a lot of important topics related to this psychological re- research, even though he's a philosopher. And he would he's written things like, only the non-depressed agent can be guilty of weakness of will. So depression is separate from procrastination. And when we're depressed, things can get delayed. And I, I don't think I'd call it procrastination. In fact, about a year and a half ago now, my father died. And after that, things came off the rail for me because it, it, his final illness came suddenly and he died and I was depressed. And I, but I never criticized myself for procrastination. I understood that my delay was due to my mental health at the moment. And so depression can be related to delay in our lives. But we have to be careful not to then also beat ourselves up and call ourselves procrastinators. That delay can be the amotivation of, procrastin- of depression. Now, the other thing is true, though, as well. So we started start to procrastinate a great deal and we get behind and now we're really getting into trouble because things aren't getting done whether that be at work or at school or at home and then we start feeling badly about ourselves and we ruminate and those that kind of rumination can lead to depression depression and and depressive cognition so yeah that is a root to being depressed uh, because it drags us down and really the only solution then is to find some way to to uh, break that cycle uh, but they're they're certainly related, and they go both directions. But when we have depression, I don't like to talk about procrastination. Let's treat the depression. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we're excited to tell you about Lomi, the world's first smart waste appliance. If you've struggled with composting and feel it's too much work or feel bad that you're not doing your part to help the environment, you have to check out Lomi. Lomi is a countertop electric composter, and I love it because I don't have a traditional garbage disposal. With Lomi, I don't need to take a lot of trips to the garbage with food waste. I just turn food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. And in just a minute, we'll tell you about a special offer from Lomi for our Nobody Told Me listeners. I love my Lomi because just about anything I put in the kitchen disposer can be put into the Lomi on my countertop and turned into dirt in four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. Me too. And you know, I think it's cut down my kitchen garbage by at least a half. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my Lomi turns my food waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It is so cool to see. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of garbage. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt now for my garden, and Lomi is so easy to use. While you may want to get a Lomi for yourself, you may also want to get one for someone on your holiday list. This is a great gift that will help someone year-round. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash NTM. And again, that's Lomi spelled L-O-M-I. Use promo code NTM at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. With the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Just head to Lomi.com slash NTM and use the promo code NTM to get $50 off your Lomi. On the other side of the coin, how can procrastination impact us positively? How can procrastination impact us positively? Right, right. Maybe if we take a little bit of time or we put something off and 
and it may have a positive impact. Well, every once in a while in our lives, it does. And we hold on to that like gold because we want to then justify later procrastination that's really harmful. At the outset, I said procrastination is the bad form of delay. And then I'd add to that to answer this question. There isn't an upside. Uh, lots of times delay is important. In the creative process, there's times when you need to delay an incubator, think more or research more. But And some people call that procrastination, but they're not recognizing is no, they need to do other kinds of work. That we, we have to be very careful there that there's even been terms like active procrastination, which I call an oxymoron. And we've done research recently. Our most recent paper that was just published this month, in fact, was about the fact that active procrastination is purposeful delay. It's not procrastination at all. It's not a, a self-regulation failure. It's not me giving in to feel good. It's that I say, I'm going to do this later and because I know I can pull it off later and I don't feel like doing it now. And so that's different than procrastination where you think, I really need to be working on this now, but I don't feel like it and then I'm going to give in to that. And so that's really an important distinction. I, I want to say again, there really isn't an upside to procrastination, but in our lives, there are times when we procrastinate and something works out and we just hold on to that like gold. I'm really, really curious to know what your thoughts are on ADD or ADHD drugs like Adderall, because I know amongst my friends, you'll have people that never use these kinds of drugs until a big paper is due or until they have a big test and they really need to study. Do you think this kind of drug is useful or are you not a proponent? Well, that's a great question. You have to talk to me in about two or three more months. We have a, a very large study going on right now with ADHD and procrastination. I have a student who's had lifelong ADHD, and so he's been able to recruit a, quite a large sample of people who have been diagnosed formally with ADHD. The few studies that are available so far, there hasn't been this formal diagnosis. They haven't had the cooperation of clinicians, and we have that now. So I would tell you that, yes, I do think that you're going to see more delay in a population of ADHD people or people who suffer from ADHD because at its heart there, we've got executive function problems, that part of the brain that's responsible for organization and impulse control and those sorts of issues, uh, planfulness. And when that's not working well, of course, then you can find procrastination. And in one study by Laura Rabin at the University of, uh, City University of New York, uh, she did show that every subscale on a measure of executive function correlated uh, with procrastination, but negatively. The lower uh, the executive function, the higher the procrastination. So to the extent these drugs do help with executive function and treat ADHD, then they might uh, kickstart uh, work when you weren't able to before. Tim, are most of us aware of the degree to which procrastination is impacting our life and and the ability for us to move forward? The first part, yes. I believe that everyone who procrastinates gets it. In fact, I have a colleague at Utrecht University, the same group that was studying sleep procrastination, uh, the same group that was studying sleep procrastination, he defines procrastination as culpably unwarranted delay. And we're, he says we're culpable. That's another philosopher. I like their language use. It's so uh, tight. And I love that definition because it's short and it gets to the heart of it. It's the form of delay for which we feel culpable. We know we're really being our own worst enemy. Now, do we feel that notion that we could change? Many of us don't hold that optimism. And we don't even know how. Um, because 
Well, you asked me before, did I study this because I'm a procrastinate, uh, was a procrastinator? Yeah, I procrastinated a fair bit like lots of people. I don't anymore. But it's not because I've somehow changed and don't have a desire to put things off. It's that I've learned strategies not to, and that really fuels me in important ways, in both my goal attainment, but also my well-being. And, and I don't know if I'm ever going to change internally and kind of go, yeah, rah, rah, I'm happy I'm doing this. Uh, but I do get things done. And so I don't think everyone gets that last part that there are strategies that I can use to overcome this constant needless delay. If you just had a minute or two minutes to get out, to get to the world, get your message out about what your greatest strategies are for preventing procrastination, what are they? Well, I, I do have one that I use constantly. And it's that I told you that Procrastination is all about emotion management. So I face a task and I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Um, our brains are meant to do one thing, a couple things really well. Think and feel. And we have very busy brains. Imagine that one of these major tech companies like Google or Apple, or you, you pick one, could come up with a, a bubble that would appear above your head. And in it, all your thoughts and feelings would be visible to others. And your only choice was that you could leave it on or shut it off. I can guarantee most of us would shut it off because you think, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want you to know how crazy I am. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. you just, if you reflect on how, much, how, the, how many thoughts and feelings we have, even in the course of this conversation, we've thought and felt things that uh, weren't even related to this conversation. Our, our brains are great at that. So we have to recognize that just because I have thoughts and feelings, I don't have to take them all so seriously. In fact, the Buddhists call this monkey mind. Our minds are just jumping around like a monkey. And so we have to give the monkey something to do. And you just can't tell the monkey, don't do that. In fact, the research on emotion regulation by James Gross and others will tell us you can't suppress these things. It's just not an effective strategy. And the Buddhists say the same thing. Give, but you've got to give the monkey something to do. And so my number one strategy is, yeah, when I face a task that I don't feel like doing, which is all the time, okay, because I don't know where adults get this, but we somehow think our motivation, our motivational state has to match the task at hand. It doesn't. It really doesn't. We don't have motivation. to be excited in, with everything no. that we do. No. In fact, if we wait for that, we're not going to do very much. Uh-huh. So here it is. So we, we, I've got the backdrop there. It's about emotion regulation. I'm having all these emotions. Sure, my brain's great at it. My brain's great at thinking and feeling. I'm thinking I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling horrible. And then I just say, well, what's the next action? If I was going to do this, but I don't want to, what would be the next action? And I keep that action tiny. So it's a kind of like that, you know, small step thing. But I don't try to even put it in that phrase. I say, what's the next action I would do? And it, and it can be so tiny as, well, I'd have to open my laptop or I'd have to open the mail application and look at that mail that was sent to me. And I think to myself, I can do that. But if I think about the whole task, again, I get overwhelmed. And I just have to line up a few of those and I'm fine. I'm uh, 62 years old now, and I work on the 15th floor of a building on campus and an eighth floor of another. And it's been for the last few years I decided I should take the stairs. It's just good exercise. There's not a single day that I walk on campus where I think, oh, I'm looking forward to taking the stairs. Right. Oh, I, I feel you on that. I feel the same way with, with my stairs in my building. I I always call the elevator, but then I'm like, man, but I should take the stairs. And I end up doing it, but I don't want to. Right. That, and that sums it up. So uh, on the way, though, my brain is saying, you know, your bag's awfully heavy today. You didn't sleep that well. <laughs> you know, you, I, you haven't really been feeling that well. Maybe you should take just the elevator just today. You're looking for that license. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, Tim, if you can't hack it, you can get off at the next floor and take the, and take the elevator. 
and I do the first step, and of course, 15 flights later, I feel great. And that strategy of what's the next action is the same. What's that next tiny step? And that is life-changing because in the sense that it helps you not try to suppress your emotional state. You don't fight with it. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I'm afraid. I'm bored. I'm frustrated. I'm resentful. There's so many flavors of these negative emotions. Instead, I put my focus on what's the next action. And once you make a little bit of progress, it fuels our well-being and our motivation. Now, it's not magical in the sense that you might have to do that 15 minutes later. You know, it, it doesn't, doesn't change you as a person necessarily, but it changes your outcome. And over time, you can develop habits. I, as much as I'm being really cautious by saying it won't change you, well, to the extent you develop habits, that's really change, life-changing because really our habits are things that will protect us. We thank you for being part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we want to take a minute to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. That's Hover, spelled H-O-V-E-R. Have you ever thought about starting your own business or creating a brand, sharing your wealth of knowledge with the world, using your years of experience to create something for yourself? Hover wants to help you take the first step in getting your ideas off the ground. If you have a brand that you've always dreamt of building or a business you want to take online, the first step is finding your domain name. Hover makes this super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy to use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. In addition to the classics like .com, you can get extensions like .shop, .tech, and .art with over 400 more to choose from. You'll be able to find the perfect domain name for your business, one that's memorable, relevant, and boosts your brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. If you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or chat away. Secure, simple, and reliable. Hover is a trusted and popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or business. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head to hover.com nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. Maybe you want to buy a domain name for someone as a gift for the holidays. You may even want to secure your child's name as a domain name for privacy purposes. Again, that's hover.com slash nobody to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. That's hover spelled H-O-V-E-R dot com slash nobody for 10% off your first purchase. How do you feel about the notion that procrastination for some people gives an excuse for perhaps not doing the best that they could do or not succeeding as well as they could. Like, oh, well, I would have gotten a better grade on that test if I'd studied more, but, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, there's two things there, both of them research-driven. One, The first case is called self-handicapping. So certainly we can use delay to build an excuse to protect our self-esteem. Uh, Professor Ferrari, Joe Ferrari, a good friend of mine at DePaul University in Chicago, has talked a lot about the fact that uh, people who procrastinate don't like feedback about the self. They're always trying to protect self-concept. And so a way to protect your self-concept, as you've said, you know, well, I could have done better, but I only started studying last night. Now, some of us, my colleagues and I, don't think that that's necessarily procrastination. That's strategic delay in a certain way. Uh, but it, it can be a secondary gain of procrastination. So you put things off, you do things at the last minute, at the same time you're protecting yourself. Now, another colleague, Fuchsia Sirwa at Sheffield University 
University of Sheffield in Great Britain. She did some research on uh, upward and downward counterfactuals, and you made one. An upward counterfactual is the what if, and you think uh, about how you could have done it better. And a downward counterfactual is, well, let's say you had a, a fender bender today, a car accident. You say, well, at least no one was killed. Or as opposed to, if I hadn't been looking at my phone, I wouldn't hit anyone. So upward counterfactual is the second one, and the downward counterfactual is the first, at least no one was killed. Well, we found that people who procrastinate more make more downward counterfactuals. This is what Future Zero found. And the reason they get is emotions, because it makes you feel better. When you say things like, well, at least no one was killed, you feel better, but you don't learn anything. So all of that's wrapped in there. Certainly procrastination and upward and downward counterfactuals and self-handicapping all relate to issues of self. And we have to transcend then if we're going to keep moving forward. Why is it that uh, perfectionists are more likely to procrastinate? Ah, well, I have to stop you there because and, and, you painted all the perfectionists with one brush. And there are at least two flavors. The most recent literature talks about perfectionistic strivings versus perfectionistic concerns. And perfectionistic strivings are not related to procrastination. In fact, they can be negatively related to procrastination. Like you, the more you have perfectionistic strivings, the less you procrastinate. But perfectionistic concerns are related to living up to the unrealistic expectations of others. This inner dialogue that involves rumination and, and really beating yourself up, that is related to procrastination. In fact, an earlier typology of, of perfectionism had self-oriented perfectionism, which is like the strivings, you're just doing it well for yourself, and then socially prescribed perfectionism, where again, you're trying to live up to others, that social prescription part. And sure enough, that's the kind of perfectionism that's related to procrastination. So if you find yourself having this internal dialogue with some imaginary other, or some other that you know, like a parent or a spouse or a boss, and you're feeling, oh, I just, I can't live up to those expectations. Well, your perfectionism is getting in the way, and it's a big deal. But just just because you're a perfectionist doesn't mean you're going to procrastinate. It depends what flavor. Do we get better at dealing with procrastination as we get older or do we get worse? That's interesting. There's not enough research to be definitive about this. There's some research that shows that we procrastinate less. And it doesn't surprise me in some respects because when you look at the changes in personality over time, one mean level change we see in the population, that means it happens to most people as we age on average, is that we become more conscientious and less neurotic. And so those traits are both related to procrastination in a way that as we become more conscientious and less neurotic, we procrastinate less. But then now I've been working a lot with older people and they'll tell me after they're retired, oh, I'm such a procrastinator now. I used to have structure in my life. And now I think, well, maybe tomorrow. So I'm not convinced we have enough data to, to really speak about that definitively. But again, the research that's out there shows that it seems to decrease over time. But then uh, anecdotally, I've heard people say, no, I find myself procrastinating more though that I've lacked structure. You became a father later in life. And I'm wondering, what are you trying to teach your child um, as to how to not procrastinate? <laughs> That's a great question. You've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, daughter, uh, I was I was writing a 
a blog piece for Psychology Today, in fact, when my children came home off the bus. And I was at the school today with my children. I'm on an 80% appointment so that I can be home more and be Mr. Mom, as, as people like to call it. And uh, so I had to work a bit later. And uh, and I said to my daughter, well, you've got some homework. Why don't you get on it? And she had a full-fledged hissy fit. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't feel like it. And I said, do you know who you're talking to? Like, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. And and she was really like she was really using that as a defense. She really was wanted to become so obnoxious I'd give up. And I said to her, you know, what you're trying to do is push me away. I said, not going to work. And I said, and I know you don't feel like it, but we're going to get started on it. Let's just take the first question and you just show me what it is, and we talk about what we would do if we were going to do it. See how I set that threshold really low. Mm-hmm. And and sure enough, over the next half hour, she did two or three of those questions. Now I didn't make her do them all. I'm looking for those little wins, trying to show her how. She can set those standards. Now, my my son, who's uh, only, she's 12 and a half. My son's 10. But my, when my son was six, I remember saying to him, Alex, it's time you learned to make your bed. Time that you made your bed every morning. And of course, he said to me, I don't want to. I don't feel like <laughs> it. And, and I knew I wasn't going to really win a fight with a six-year-old. So I said, Alex, how'd you like to get a dollar? He said, you'll pay me a dollar to make my bed? I said, no, I'll give you a dollar if I can... If you can count to 10 before I can make your bed. He said, really? I said, yeah, but you got to count 1,001, 1,002. Now, my son has a single bed with a sheet, a duvet, and a pillow. <laughs> so he starts to count, and I pull the sheet up, and I straighten the pillow, and I pull this duvet up, and he gets the six. I said, I'm done. He said, I don't get my dollar, do I? I said, no, but what did you learn? It takes six seconds to make my bed. Exactly. And I said, but you're going to argue with me for like an hour. And now every day is beds made. Now, I'm working on neatness, but <laughs> he learned, and, and this is so true about many things in life, that we make more of it in our own minds than it is. Yeah. yeah. There's not a day in the, uh, I get up in the morning, so we've had our dinner and we've washed our dishes, and some of them are in the dishwasher, but some of the larger things are in a dish rack drying. And in the morning, my job is to get up and make some coffee and put those away. <laughs> it's not a morning I feel like doing that, sure. right? And a part of me goes, oh, why do I have to do this? You know, woe is me. And yet, really, it takes two minutes, mm-hmm. two minutes. to put, And that doesn't even, even when the counter is full, you think it's going to take half an hour. It takes a couple of minutes. And, and we can spend our lives not doing those things. And over a few days when you don't, then your life's really out of control. And you feel it. Like you just, you feel the weight of that. And so it's really important to stay on top of things. Now, all of that is by way of answer to your question about how do I do with my own children this way? Well, we develop a language to talk about this, this I don't feel like it, I don't want to. We have a language around, um, Mark Twain was once known to have said, if your job is to eat a frog, then eat it first thing in the morning. And if your job is to eat two frogs, then eat the biggest one first. And so we have the expression of, you know, what's your frog today? <laughs> you know, so we, we develop a language. As some, I just gave a talk at a high school in Toronto last a week ago yesterday and and as the social worker who invited me to the school said to name it is to tame it and so with my children I try to find a way that we can talk about these things to lay them bare and and not be able to just use techniques to avoid you know because my daughter even said I'll feel more like it tomorrow I want to do it tomorrow no you don't you just don't want to do it now yeah and 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 then I've got I mean there's a whole story behind why we think we're going to feel like it tomorrow but I'll stay on your question and say, on the one hand, I try to develop a language with my children. On the other hand, I try to model it. Right? I just try to show them that good habits take you a long, long way. 
Our, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always like to ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson in life? What have you learned in, in studying procrastination, in dealing with it in your own life that no one could have told you about? That no one could have told me about. Wow. Or that no one did tell you about. Or that you wish well, someone had told you about. Well, I, I think what I wish someone would have told me about was to live my own life earlier, that we are deeply all different. And I think many of the humanist psychologists speak to this and artists say you got to find your own calling. But it's true for every human being. You know, the positive psychologists now have kind of rebirthed humanism and, and have told us, you know, we, ha- we have to become our own person. And, and I think that if, if anyone could have helped me see that earlier in life, I had so many moments where I recognized my own potential, but then felt, as my daughter once said to me when she was going to wear some clothing I objected to, she said, Dad, but I have to fit in. And, and I think if I could have learned earlier in life that, no, you don't have to fit in. And in fact, you're going to be regarded more highly by others and, and be even more valuable in the world if you just become your own person. That's just a huge gift. But it's, it's not something you can really give to someone. It's something you can help them see. Like It's helping te- people develop perspective. And, and that, and, and that be- takes time. It, it does. And it's, it's got developmental roots as well. But I'll tell you, when my, my grandmother on my father's side died, she was the first relative that I lost. And, and I loved her a lot, as we all love our family. And I remember walking, I was probably my son's age, I was pretty young. I remember walking out of the hospital room thinking, she's the only one leaving. Like, we all get to go back to our lives. Mm-hmm. And it was a deeply existential moment of, yeah, this is life, right? That that uh, you, you're going to, people check out, you're going to check out, and that you're that person's the only one leaving. You know, mm-hmm. as much as you love them, yeah, can't take their place. And that that's a that's a pretty deep one, too. And, and you wonder, well, how does that relate to procrastination? Well, I mentioned it in passing earlier. There's only one non-renewable resource we have in life, and that's time. And we shouldn't waste it, because we don't even know how much we're going to get. And I think that's why in every world religion, there's a notion of uh, the sin of sloth wasting this precious gift of time. And whether you're religious or not doesn't matter. It's still an existential reality. You don't have to believe it's on a commandment or part of a religious doctrine to know that, yeah, this is going to run out. Now, do I want to waste it? And why am I wasting it? And for me, that's a big eye-opener too. Tim, how can people find out more about you? Well, they could do what you did. (laughs) You did a good job. Uh, I, I have a website. I established it back in 1995, just after I defended my own doctoral dissertation when I decided that procrastination was going to be something I wanted to study. And I I got that domain name back then, procrastination.ca. Universities in Canada aren't .edu, but we're .ca. So you got to think, yeah, that guy's in Canada, .ca, procrastination.ca. And there you can see the kind of things I've written and, and get some idea of the, behind the philosophy behind our research group and my own teaching. Um, and then the, as there's access to what you talked about earlier, the, the blog, which I've been returning to, and the podcast, which is intermittent but there. Because what I found is I started my podcast back in 2006, 2005. And since then, so many people are doing podcasts that I've been guests on podcasts rather than doing my own. So there's stuff all out there. But you can, you know, when you get procrastination.ca, you'll find Tim. Okay, sounds good. And then also at psychologytoday.com. That's where a lot of your blogs are. 
That's right. But the link uh, to the Psychology Today blogs is right on procrastination.ca as well. And you also have this fantastic YouTube video. You have a lot, but um, there's one that's had, I think it was 420,000 views as of yesterday. And (laughs) it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I actually was able to listen through and not do a ton of other things. I, I won't say I didn't get distracted once or twice, but for me, well, I thought that was pretty good. So uh, it's funny, I never, listen. I didn't, I didn't uh, film that with the idea that it was going anywhere. I was asked by our educational development center on campus if I'd come and talk to the teaching assistants about dealing with students who procrastinate, and I, I give talks constantly. So I said sure, and I went out over one afternoon at lunchtime and talked for an hour, and then as they did, as people do, they put it up on the internet, and it's gotten a lot of play. And now I want to do some others because I see that YouTube is a more popular place for people to be than ever. Because there's many things in there that I expand on now. In fact, we didn't even touch on the idea of present and future self, which is huge in procrastination. Um, that's another name it, uh, name it to tame it. You know, how's future self going to feel about this? But anyhow, thank you for the compliment on the YouTube video. I'm sure it's there if people want to watch it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You've there, there, are, there are so many other things we would like to talk to you about in the future. So we, we hope you will definitely come back. Oh, Jan and Laura, it would be my pleasure. Well, it was our pleasure to talk with you today. That's Dr. Timothy Pitchell. He's the author of Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, a Concise Guide to Strategies for Change. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. And you've been listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you for joining us. 